Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Puneet Kataria, founder of Customer Success Box. In this episode, we talked about what made Puneet make the switch from engineering to sales, the importance of selling to the right customers to avoid churn, and we debated whether customer success is the right job title for the job. We also discussed the building blocks as a customer success team needs, the five different animals of SaaS and the type of customer success models to use for each. And finally, Puneet dove deep into the moving pieces of a successful customer success stack. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Puneet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Puneet is the founder of Customer Success Box, a customer success platform for B2B SaaS businesses. Puneet started his career as an engineer before moving into sales at IBM and ThoughtWorks. He later served as VP of Global Sales at Kayako before founding Customer Success Box. So my first question for you, Panita, is what made you make the switch from engineering over to sales? Oh, boy. That was, a, that was a question I wasn't prepared for, I must say, Andrew. But the way I put it to my engineering friends is, you know, once an engineer, always an engineer. And so, yeah, I do tell them, yes, I moved to the dark side. But the way it happened was a lot more natural. I, I was used, using a technology and the owner or the manufacturer, or the, the technology player themselves reached out and saying, hey, how would you feel about uh, helping others utilize the same technology? Started in pre-sales for about six months and very quickly moved to sales. So, yeah. And then... I enjoyed, frankly, travel initially, and uh, that that came along. I was single back then, obviously. But then the but something that kept me going till date was the joy of meeting people, joy of meeting new people, making new friends, and then you know that becomes uh, a place, a way of uh, living, and 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 you also make some money on the way. So that's amazing. Very cool, very cool. And obviously, it's always nice to hear as well when. Uh, these stories where you have existing users of a certain technology or platform. We've had this a couple of times on the show where people started customer success in customer success roles from this perspective, where they were using a tool or service and uh, they thought, okay, I can help others with this tool or service. And that's how they got into customer success to begin with. Interesting that you got into sales as well. So actually very interesting. So very something very similar happened to me. So while I moved from engineering to sales, 
And uh, I've been selling SaaS since 2006. And uh, what interesting happened in my last employment, which where I was wearing the hat of VP of Worldwide Sales, was something I never saw coming. I had signed up an incentive plan, which was actually based on MRR, monthly recurring revenue, instead of the usual the customers you acquire. So, so as VP of Worldwide Sales, I inherit a team, a team's kicking ass, we are adding new customers. Everybody is making incentive except me. And then two months later, I'm wondering what's going on. Why am I not making incentives? And that is when I realized, oh shit, looks like there is a leak in the bucket. So that is when I learned about something called churn. We are adding 100 accounts. We're losing 100 accounts. It's like running on a treadmill. You don't go anywhere no matter how hard you run. So in so many ways, I'm just helping myself back in the day when I was instrumental in then I was obviously forced to learn about customer success. I set up a team. This was about seven years ago. Set up a team. Also deploy technology. Um, and do everything to retain customers and basically take my incentive home. <laughs> very nice. And I think it's very forward thinking as well of the company back then to have sales targets tied to MRR. It's definitely some of the things we hear from some of the more successful companies when it comes to retention is like aligning sales targets with actually with retention because uh, I think that's somewhere definitely an area where things can go wrong where you have people overselling and then the product under delivering and that results in churn or just like selling to unqualified customers just to meet uh, quota and then on the other end like you say if, if you have that as a target where MRR becomes uh, part of your uh, comp then it definitely aligns you more towards getting the right customers making sure you're right selling to the right fits and thinking a little bit more about the success of the business very aptly said in fact um, a lot of people think that customer success or customer retention is the problem of customer success team or function whereas that it can't be you know more further away from the truth because customer success is the responsibility of the entire organization if you are if you're bringing in a customer for which the technology or the product that you're selling is not even meant for, then there's going to be a very natural churn because you're bringing in the wrong customer to start with. In fact, HubSpot has spoken about it in the early days when they were actually trying to figure out and control churn because the, the churn initially was really high. And uh, they, they sat down and started basically filtering out, okay, which are the are the bad customer success managers who are where they have a huge uh, churn problem. And then they looked at all the correlation between the churn metric and the customer success manager. There were hardly any variations. Pretty much every customer success manager was facing similar churn. So there was not a single bad apple they could spot. And then they did another correlation. They started correlating the churn with the sales reps. And that's where all the you know secrets got revealed. It's like yeah. there were certain sales guys who were basically going about and selling uh, to any customer or maybe I really don't know. I don't remember all the details, but, yeah. but that's where they realized that it was not the customer success manager that required training, but actually the sales guys. And then they eventually put them on the quota of retention as well. I think initially they started with a three-month quota. Like if, if a customer leaves in the first three months, which is most very often that happens because the, the customers are not able to successfully get onboarded if you brought in the wrong customer to start with. Yeah. Uh, and then the and then their incentives get clawed back. It's a really interesting story. I've not heard of that. I have to look that up for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. I think when it comes to it as well, and you mentioned as well, customer success is the role of the company. And thinking about all the conversations I've had over the course of this podcast is that I think the name of customer success, like as a role, is just really bad. And if you think about within the company, you have like sales, you have marketing, you have product, and then you have this title called customer success, which is essentially what your company is trying to do is make your customers successful. So then it puts a whole lot of weight maybe on the role that's just non, not necessary. And perhaps like this is where all the frustration and the pain comes from in the role is just really, we give it this title of customer success when 
it's the whole company's job to make your customers successful and it should be everybody that's responsible for this. It's just something that's hit me now after all these conversations. Perhaps maybe it's not about explaining what customer success is. It may be just about rebranding it to something more specific to what you're actually doing. But uh, it's interesting. Before the show, we started chatting a little bit about the tech stack behind customer success and what it needs to set up a good stack for your customer success program. And obviously, I know you have a lot to share on this topic as well. So I'm interested from your perspective, Anit, like what are some of the core building blocks a good customer success team needs and what are the foundations that they should have in place? Lovely. And before we talk about customer success stack, I just want to quickly comment on your comment on the title because I love the title actually. Yeah. So, so we might have a disagreement, but I'm, but I, That's good. But I have a feeling I, I will be able to bring you on my side of the story. See, um, customer success is a title which is most apt, most accurate when you look at it from the customer's perspective. Who's that individual who within the organization is responsible for making sure that they as a customer are successful? It is going to be this individual. So it in so many ways points them to this one individual, hopefully a named customer success manager for them, uh, which is going to make sure that this customer, that they themselves are successful. The the way I put it, how how you need to look at it as a title internally, I I tell them that you don't, you have to make sure that the customer is successful, but you necessarily don't have to deliver the success yourself. So you have the entire organization and you go grab whichever individual team member resource player that you need to make sure that your customer or customers are successful, go grab them. So you are in so many ways responsible for delivering success, but you don't have to deliver it necessarily yourself. So make it happen versus doing it yourself. Um, That's how I I always advise, you know, the customer success managers should look at their own role. Yeah. And I agree with you on that sort of description. I just think more often than not, this is not the perception or understanding when people hear the title, they read it, especially because I think it's still a very much an emerging practice today. And it's team members uh, not necessarily understand what this is. And typically like it's not one of the first things that's brought into a company. It's brought in maybe at a later stage where there's a maturity in the company. There's different roles already in practices established. And now all of a sudden this uh, team gets formed. It can definitely be misleading internally. But having a really good way to describe uh, what the team's role is and purpose, I think, is, is a very good place to start. But I see from your perspective how you explained it. Something I think we actually discussed previously with David Sakamoto from GitLab uh, in the sense that having one individual just really responsible, not necessarily you need to do the job, but you need to be like pushing product, you need to be pushing sales, you need to be pushing marketing just to make sure that everybody's working together uh, for the success. But Spot on. Let's jump to the stack. Let's jump like? to the stack. What does it look like? So let me give the bad news first and then, then we'll, we'll get to the good news. So if there was a perfect stack, then we could just you know write on a piece of paper, you know, publish it and, and, and be done with it, right? The ultimate stack, the perfect stack, and, and we don't, nobody needs to discuss any further and, and that's about it. But obviously we all have a perfect stack, but you need to look for your perfect stack for the stage that you are in for the kind of customers that you have. And I, I think before we start diving into the stack, there are a few things that, that I always that I'll always uh, you know, want to make sure that you understand uh, your own position of where you are. So for example, one of the, one of the, one of the ways I would like to divide or, or segment customers or SaaS customers specifically are the ways, the way it was defined by, by Christopher Jans in, in five different animals of SaaS. I'm sure everybody, uh, or most of your listeners have yeah. actually heard about that. We had so them we're on talking the show about flies. Well. Uh, oh, beautiful. Okay. 
I missed that one. I, I should go in and catch that one. I have met him and I've discussed this with him. I love that model. Uh, so if you've got flies, rabbits, deers, and elephants being customers paying you more than $100,000, deers being between $10,000 and $100,000, ARPA or average revenue per account, basically. And then you've got rabbits, which are paying you $1,000 to $10,000. And then you've got flies, which are paying you less than less than $1,000 per year, probably. So we obviously, let's not talk about customer success. For flies is obviously going to be completely product-led. If the customer is successful with the product, they, they succeed. There's nothing else, no other interventions at all possible if it's not coming from the product. But but the moment you but the moment you think about rabbits, what you want to do with, with rabbit is the unit economics of all of these segments actually define two pieces. One, what you can do at a maximum to make this customer successful. If you're talking about elephants or even whales, whales are customers who are paying you more than a million dollars. For whales, you obviously can go to any lengths to make sure that they're yeah, successful. Logical. Exactly. And, and hence, the unit economics is allows you the maximum freedom on one end of elephants and whales. On the other hand, you absolutely have zero room uh, to even think of any other form of intervention or any other form of support when it comes to fly outside of the product itself being so intuitive. Now, the fun happens everything in between. That's where that's where everybody's scratching their head. You know, if we were elephants or whales, then we will have an entire team of professional service engineers fly in and we'll have strategy consultants you know, sit down and walk the, uh, walk the lobbies and basically camp there for six months till the customer is successful. Fantastic. Yeah. That's easier said than done. That was one of the things I was actually surprised on the show hearing is that's like one of, I can't remember who the guest was at this point in time, but he actually spent like a year at a customer's offices and they were given a space at the office and their job was to make their customers successful. So people could literally just come into, if it was the sales force, or I can't remember what product it was he was with, but like they would have the sales force rep actually work at their offices to make them successful. I was like, that is hard touch. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's hard touch. And if somebody is paying you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in ARPA, then absolutely that is a strategy, not just that you should adopt. That is what your customers expect. And, and obviously somebody is paying you millions of dollars because the underlying problem that they're trying to solve must be so complicated. And hence there are other elements which are reflecting in the amount or the ARPA that your uh, that your elephants and whales are actually paying you. Then let's go down and come up from flies and let's go to deers. So deers are customers who are paying you between a thousand and a ten thousand dollars. You've got a little bit of a room to, to provide some intervention, but you're primarily, your strategy for managing customer success here is still not one-on-one. You're still trying to do one-to-many approach. That means you're trying to look at analytics of all your customers, or at least segmenting a group of customers, and then seeing which customers are adopting what, so that you can fine-tune your product, fine-tune your strategies, fine-tune even the help guides and self-onboarding tools and all of that stuff. Then you are you started to monitor renewals, but you still can't intervene at every renewal level. But what you've probably started to do at this stage is you've started to offer them a very small, maybe half an hour or a one hour small onboarding. Post the self-onboarding, that is maximum the potential that you can do. So that's on a strategy of dealing with rabbits. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to the tech stack in a minute. And then you've got deers are customers, which is where the maximum fun happens. Customers paying you $10,000 all the way to hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Or typically above below $100,000. There is... The customer is paying you large enough 
that uh, or, or big enough that they the underlying problem must be pretty complicated. That means the onboarding is going to be it's going to take a few weeks. It's going to have a few moving parts, will require some sort of a guidance, but you still do not have enough money coming in from one customer to fly in and, and treat them like an elephant or a whale. So this is where um, you want to do one-on-one, but you cannot on the field, on the ground. So the best approach to do one-on-one in Deers is by basically going remote. So doing remote customer success but by doing one-on-one. So giving them a very, very personalized experience of onboarding, having a one-on-one customer success manager, this is where CSMs come in most effective at this stage. And in fact, depending on the product that you, uh, or the complexities of the product and the technologies that you're selling, you may want to even bring in a specialist onboarding team. There are pros and cons, but more on that some other time. So this is, these are some of the, the, the way I, I segment accounts. Now, with that said, if those are some of your strategies, then what underlying technology stacks you will need, which will enable you to effectively deliver on these customer retention, customer success strategies. That is where let's just go through some of the very, very well-known, probably many of the listeners already have a lot of these pieces in their stack, but they're always wondering, does the new one replaces the older one? How do they coexist and all of those pieces? Yeah. So with that said, let's dive into each of the categories. Cool. Uh, and I think it's great way as well that you've broken it down. Christoph Jans obviously has uh, this great model. And I think it all how to build a hundred million dollar business, I think is the blog post where it was titled and I will share that in the notes. But yeah, I think that's a great way as well to look at it when it comes towards like, what can you do for customer success? Just really understanding what is like the ROI going to be at the end of the day? How much money can you invest into this practice, knowing what your customers are paying you? And then as you say, you've highlighted, I think, just the different touches. So to go from like super low touch, fully automated to super high touch. And in between, like you said, these different uh, tech stacks. Where are we going to start with the stack then, I think? I, I, I think there are the first one let's go for is, is support maybe. Yeah. So uh, support, the traditional help desk, the Zendesk, the, the fresh desks of the world, I think are a must have. They're part of the basic infra. They're not even success they are required for the success but they necessarily they're not they're not they're necessary but not sufficient that's going to be true for many of these many of these platforms um many of these categories so i think support is absolutely needed as long as there is a customer who's paying you um, a few dollars even uh, and they have a problem there needs to be a place where they can reach out in case they face challenges so there has to be a support someone needs to help them.com and then uh, you respond back within the SLAs no matter whether it's a freemium customer or a or or a multi-million dollar paying customer you need to have that in front place for sure I, I think so that one goes without saying but keep in mind support is fundamentally reactive in nature that means um, a customer when they face a problem, you will not have any way of knowing that the customer is facing any challenge unless the customer chooses to reach out and write to you at the support channel that you provided to them. And then the support technology, the help desk technology, the way it is built actually to react to it. And the SLAs which sort of gets tracked are, or how the KPIs that get tracked are essentially the SLAs of response times and so on and so forth, because you try to respond back at the quickest because usually the support queries are expected around how can I do this? Not around what can I do or why should I do or can you advise me something? Those are very success related queries. Uh, In support, you will typically find how do I import this data, for example. Nobody will get into what data they want to import and why. 
So I think that is a must-have part for any success yep. stack. Uh, that should be number one. Any company. Yeah. Uh, and then next step. So from that perspective, like you, you mentioned as well, like the support having the ability to ask questions, but there were aspects and uh, certain questions you might receive that are more on the customer success end. So specifically, like I think how to be successful using the specific product where like support comes into category, something's broken or it's not working and I need support to help me fix this, or I just need to learn how to use this product to service better so I can make sure that's successful. How do you see these two like blending between the two teams, support and customer success? Oh, I think that's an excellent question. We did a little snippet of video, um, I think years ago on this. So the way I always tell them is that there will be always be success related questions occasionally, not very regularly, hopefully, which come in the form of uh, a support ticket. At that point in time, your support team should be trained to spot those and bubble them up to the customer success counterpart saying, hey, these guys are struggling with what they should do or why they should do. And, or maybe there is an upsell opportunity which is hidden there or something that that needs to be bumped up. Similarly, customer success guys also get a lot of support queries which come to them and they need to be sent over to the right team, which is the customer support team there. So I always tell them that customer support team needs to be very good at the technology how is your technology working? Because they are answering the how questions. Customer success team needs to be very good at what the technology can do and why you should be using the technology. Then they understand the use cases very well, even if they don't know the technology, the uh, the nuances of, of the hows of the technology. Because then there are other teammates which can support that. Yeah, very nice. Next in the stack, what is it? Next in the stack, I like to pick up CRM. And, and you might be wondering, it's like, why CRM is not customer success? I, of course, you and I will agree. But interestingly, majority of the teams, the customer success teams are either by choice or by force are actually asked to start their customer success journey by, in a way, tweaking a CRM and trying to make it fit for the customer success job. And, and we get so many customer success teams who are actually running their playbooks on CRMs and whatnot. And then only to obviously realize that, you know, CRM is not built for it. So I, I think something that I want to absolutely call out, I think CRM is a fantastic must-have tool for acquiring customers. Uh, obviously, you want it, and it's going to be the backbone of any business. Uh, without CRMs, you probably not have any customers. So you want, it, you want them there, but stretching it beyond a CRM is going to be a challenge for simple reasons, because it is basically meant to start capturing information when you have no knowledge no understanding of your customers. You don't know their name. You don't know who they are. You don't know. You start them from a from an anonymous lead. Then at some point you capture their email and then so on and so forth. And you show them all the love and care and then you punch in the data. So it's fundamentally a system of records. On the other hand, if you look at a customer success stack and the, the core of customer success stack is let's say customer success technology like customer success box is a system of intelligence because it feeds off of all the data that you already have about your customer uh, on day zero when they become your customer. You, of course, know them, who they are, why they purchased the platform, how are they using it, who's going to be onboarding, what stakeholders you're working with, how much are they paying, what platform are they shifting from, or what technology are they shifting from, why have they purchased it, what are their goals, what are your KPI, what are your outcomes to be delivered, and so on and so forth, right? So you you don't want to be stuck in a system of records 
when you should actually be operating out of a system of intelligence, uh, which is what the need for customer success, uh, which is what your customer customer success stack should enable you to. That's an interesting way to put it. For. Interesting way to frame it as well, because I think I've always uh, thought about this: is what is the difference between Salesforce or Gainsight, and like using the two services? Why would you have both in tandem, or or something as well, like customer success box uh, as another layer and, on top? And since you're a little bit more curious, I'll give you a, a little bit more detail, and I'll, I'll let yeah. you decide whether you whether you want to keep this part of the notes. I think because a lot of people probably are are scratching their head on this. See, CRM technology is at its core is basically a lot of data, a lot of different kinds of data coming together in, in basically a relational database. For many of you, your listeners might be coming from an engineering background. So these are basically very simple tables where the data exists and you need to correlate it among themselves. That's a typical structure of a relational database. The, when I talk about customer success box or customer success technology for that matter, right? So customer success box, for, for example, is a system of intelligence because it is not only taking a look at the the typical relational database, but we also take the feed of telemetry, the product user behavior, or the, uh, sorry, the user behavior or the product adoption database, which is actually a streaming database, which is a streaming data stream of product telemetry. So just to tell you, in a CRM, uh, a customer is likely to make maybe a few dozens to a few hundreds of changes every day. We receive like billions of events every day in terms of crunching the data. So we draw our intelligence from a big data Hadoops and those big data crunching machines to get that intelligence, which is not what uh, CRMs can do and they're not built for it either. So that's your core difference and why you need a different system of intelligence. They can do a little bit of an intelligence based on their own data, but they cannot handle streaming data fundamentally. That's clear. And so what you say is in the customer success box, you're really focused on what the user is doing post uh, sale, understanding like crunching uh, big data when it comes to their patterns and the usage and adoption and really giving signals in terms of like how healthy the account is and how you can make them more successful. Got it. We have support, CRM. What's next? Since I mentioned about telemetry, let's talk about analytics because your listener is probably thinking, hold on, you're talking about product telemetry. I already have analytics in place, right? I've got um, the the who's who of mixed panel, uh, amplitude, heap analytics, and a whole bunch of great analytics platforms out there. So yep. a lot of people think that, okay, you're talking about telemetry data. I already have analytics. In fact, when customer success teams you know, start to get a little bit more smarter and they realize, oh, we don't have any intelligence and hence CRM is not working out for us. So they they go back to the management and say, we need intelligence and hence we need to invest in a customer success platform, right? Like customer success box. Why don't we go ahead and, because we need to see which, which account is adopting the platform, which user is adopting the platform, how can they get that data? So the first thing that they're given is, oh, don't worry about it. We've got these analytics platform. Go ahead and log in. And the customer success managers are usually, oh, wow, they're thrilled. Amazing, I've got all this data. Fantastic. They come in, they log into these platforms. Now, these platforms, mind you, are analytics platform. That means their job is to take all the data and throw all the data back to you in a graphical, visual ways or you know, in, in ways in which you can query them and play with the data, if I can use that word. So play with the data in a very interactive way. And I think they, these guys, all of these analytics platforms are brilliant platforms. They all allow you to do that. But after four hours of swimming in that playful data, customer success manager comes out and say, and still scratching their head, okay, I learned a lot about data, but 
who do I call today? So which yeah. customer needs my help? And they're and they're like, I know so much, but I still don't know anything that I've got these which customers coming up for renewal in the next 30 days, which is not adopting the product, which is at the risk of churning, and they need help in that specific feature adoption or that module adoption. And they don't know that answer. Whereas if you if you at this stage, for example, if you want to compare it with a customer success box, for instance, uh, what the way I look at customer success boxes, our job is to, first of all, we realize that 99.9% .9 of that data, that, that telemetry data is pure noise. Only that 0.1% is actually interested, interesting for the customer success managers to bubble up and act on and go from there. And hence, so our job is actually to suppress all the noise, not show you all that data and just show you just the right data so that we can point you to the right account for the right reason at the right time so that you know exactly what to do and who to help. Yeah, so that makes a and, lot of sense, I think, the, as well, when you look at the different uh, tools. I think you mentioned like panel amplitude or whatever, although they do have the user component and you can go in and see a profile and see what the individual user's done. It's not geared towards giving you insights on specific individuals. It's about showing you trends and being able to see how the generic like uh, user base is interacting with your product or service. So I definitely see as well, you've given some clarity in my mind in terms of the distinguish, like why would you use a CRM versus an analytics versus something like customer success box. It really helps sort of bring the best of both worlds, if I had to say, combining them into a product for customer success specifically. So you have the relational components available to be able to see what the user is doing, where they came from and so forth. And you have the analytics component coming in to tell you how that specific user is performing and, uh, and so forth. What's and next on the stack? Is anything else that you would need? So, so, I, so, so I think next on the stack, let's add a business intelligence tool. Um, a whole, Looker, whole bunch Tableau, of them. Uh, yeah. Looker, Tableau, all of these guys. Yes, thank you. And a lot of times when they complain, oh, this is too much data for us to look at. And then they, the second time they go back to the management throws them, oh, you know what? We, we have a BI platform and they can produce whatever report that you can ever imagine. And, and then they go back happy again. So oh, we're going to get our visuals, that the ones that we want. And a lot of these BI, BI platforms are also trying to get better in, in okay, they can, they can send out alerts at different points and times and so on and so forth. So while I think BI promises that, but BI is only as good as what sort of data they can feed off of. And, and a, lot of those, a lot of those challenges, depending on how and where your data is kept, if these analytics tools are not having a direct relationship with those BIs, it's going to fall flat. If you are being promised a BI layer on top of in-house, some, some type of an RDBMS or relational database layer, that will never have the analytics crunching power any which way. And if you are, so basically what we've seen with BI is it is thrown in as the mother of all you know, solutions. But it falls short of because at its core, the intelligence is going to come from the data you're going to feed in. And that is going to also be then limited by how you are keeping or maintaining that data source. Because the data source is going to be architected in ways in which it is intended to be used. So in a way, I, I'm not blaming the BIs. I think BIs are fantastic platforms, but if you've not structured the data when you were capturing to begin with, that it is going to be one day fed into this BI for the purpose of customer success, that experiment is very likely going to be fail. And, and so I'm just trying to hopefully yeah. help a lot of customer success team go uh, avoid going down the wrong, wrong path again, but just because they can see a bunch of fancy graphs, don't assume that you're going to get an account level alerts and intelligence there. Yeah, for sure. And I think with business intelligence, like 
that is the key is really making sure you have started with a good solid foundation that's when you're tracking data and your analytics you're understanding what are the various properties you're sending by event and how they're being used and make sure you've got good naming conventions and like like 90 percent of your time should be sent uh, spent like putting together good tracking plans and understanding what's being fed into the system and 10 percent producing the graphs and the the reports and everything i think uh, at the end of the day because ultimately if you don't you just end up you feeding like shit in and you get shit out <laughs> that's basically it so. that's spot, spot on so and 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 just to make sure, making sure I'm completing my BI story here. So BI definitely has a play in customer success. The play of BI is don't use BI as the customer success platform. Use BI if your management is feeding off, you know, taking off information from the BI, then let your customer success technology or that output get fed into a BI so that they can get a high level overview, if at all. They want that from the BI platform, but BI is not customer success technology. So, so it, it's not a replacement. It will complementary or complementary or probably sit on top. So we have a built-in BI that will that sort of feeds on onto the same theory and, and approach. Yeah. I see we've we've run up on time now as well. So I just want to make sure that we can complete the stack and we can get it covered. So we went through like support, CRM, like specific customer success, like customer success box. We talked about BI. Wrapping this all together, wrapping it up. What's missing and uh, how do they all work together? So I'm going to I'm going to quickly go after NPS as well net promoter score because another tech stack another key strategy and then people rely on an NPS a lot of times and and I think it's a great metric there's nothing wrong with it net promoter score is the only metric that allows you to compare yourself with peers and across industries and within the same industry and whatnot and comes with a lot of advantages but the biggest problem with NPS is of course there are inherent drawbacks of NPS, not everybody. Yeah, not everybody. You get only 2%, 3% people actually respond to a net promoter score. And then you end up up extrapolating that response over to the remaining 98% of the user or the account base, which has statistical problems to even do that. But having said that, the biggest problem with a net promoter score is that it is a lagging indicator of risk. You want a customer intelligence or, or a customer success platform, which is an intelligence, a system of intelligence to actually give you a signal where you catch a detractor before they become a detractor, before he, she becomes a detractor, not after. If you've, they've already become a detractor, then you're so many ways you're reacting to the fact that they're a, they're a, re, a re detractor. And hence, uh, I think net promoter score is also a lagging indicator. And hence, I think great metric, you should do it, keep doing it, but do not use it as a leading indicator for identifying risk. So now wrapping it all up. So what's the, so I think all of these platforms have a play for in your customer success stack now that you understand each one of them and where they sit, but the core of customer success is going to be something as central to customer success technology, which is such as customer success box, where what we are fundamentally doing is we're taking in, bringing in all the data points from your system of records, which is your CRM, which is how many tickets do they have? Is the invoice paid or not? When is the, which plan are they on? When is their subscription renewal coming in? This is all system of records and doing across with the actual product adoption to arrive at health, which is meaningful, which is based on what stage they are, what plan they are, what product they are using, how many tickets they have, is the invoice paid or not? All of that stuff, checking if they're hitting limits of different what they have purchased versus what their actual adoption limits are. Is there an upsell opportunity uh, or maybe they are at the risk because they're not even consuming 10% of their limit. Um, And hence you should worry about driving adoption there. And then once you get these signals, now you can do a bunch of things. A, you can 
bring in interventions in two ways you can bring in interventions in a by nudging by making a tasks for customer success managers to follow up wherever there is a criteria for interventions or you can also now automate that intervention saying hey dear customer we we've released this new module you have all these fantastic features here are, here are five reasons why you should use it and then you nudge them and if the nudge doesn't work that's when you bring in a customer success manager so you can automate interventions much more smartly and and you can also bring in uh, a guided uh, intervention by by making customer success managers intervene and what else what we are doing in customer success box is that because identifying the criteria for these intervention can be quite a data diving challenge so what we've done is about 2 years ago when we started that's what we realized that's becoming a challenge so we brought in artificial intelligence and today we are proud to say that we are the only platform which can bring in the actual intervention opportunities for upsells for risks all of that automatically by using artificial intelligence without taking away any of that and basically it becomes a plug and play for you and that's that's how we build customer success box that's my little marketing you know gig on uh, uh, narrative on customer success box but barring that allow it allow it thank you but I, but i seriously hope this was helpful for your listeners to to understand the differences between so many pieces moving pieces of customer success stack Absolutely. Yeah. And it was great. And the framing of the different tools and services and the relationships between one another, I think you gave a bit more clarity on them as well. So hopefully that's helped other listeners will think about their stack and how the different pieces and components work together. Penny, it's been a pleasure hosting you today. I, it's been great having you. Any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with before we end? I'll say, even if you're still confused with the customer success stack, no matter where you start, I think go speak to your customers. They'll be the best person to tell you where you guys are dropping the ball. They'll be the best advisor for your product managers. They'll be best advisors to to help you streamline your onboarding journey. And and if you're lost, go check with your customers. Your management probably is not the best person. That's second best. One 100%. Speak to your customers. It's always the best place to start. It's been a pleasure hosting you today. And thanks so much for joining and I wish you best of luck going forward. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you, and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.